I am so excited to introduce to you tonight one of our two speakers for the weekend. And there's a lot of ways you could introduce this gal. <laughs> you could talk about the books, <laughs> the books she's written. You could talk about her speaking schedule. You could talk about Bible studies. But here's what I'm pretty convinced. Actually, I know for sure how she'd want to be introduced, and it's this. She loves the Lord Jesus. She knows she doesn't deserve his love. And she really wants to grow in loving what he loves, which is actually the local church. And so would you make some noise for your speaker tonight? <laughs> stop, stop, stop. No, seriously, stop. Oh. put that on. Thank you for that kind introduction. <laughs> oh, when my friend Brooke, who I hired to speak this weekend, convinced me a month ago to join her as a co-teacher. Yeah, yeah. When that, <laughs> when that happened, I was like, oh no, but I like my favorite part of doing human is actually hosting. I really like that I don't have to speak. And, um, and I was like, I love the hosting piece. I really love it. So I didn't want to lose it, so including introducing speakers. <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure if I should like go backstage or if I should just go like this. There I am. You know, I wasn't sure. I had a few ideas. Oh, or like get out of the way and you guys are just left wondering. Um, it's good to be with you all. And I'm excited. Thank you again for that warm welcome. I keep complimenting myself. You guys ready? Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're headed for the entire weekend. This will be by way of introduction. There's going to be a lot of scripture tonight, so sometimes if I turn there in my Bible, you can turn there with me. If I don't turn there and I just read off the screen, you can read off the screen. We're going a lot of places. Take notes. Yes? Because I'm pretty convinced you don't need to hear much from me. I'm pretty convinced that his word has power. It's authoritative. Apparently, when it goes out, it will accomplish what it intends. I have a lot of intention, but I can't accomplish what I intend every time. God's word can. And here's our theme for the weekend, Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Will you pray with me, Father? I think we have a, we, we could throw in a lot of words at your direction, but I feel kind of humbled right now that we do that so quickly, and I wonder if you want to throw your word in our direction. So as I read again, as we just have our eyes closed, aware of you, God, since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. So let's just do just that. Let's take his word. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. God, give us eyes to see as we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. But at the same time, God, you allow us to bring our earthly lives and worries and cares and concerns in, I believe, looking at you, you're looking at us. 
but also, God, in following you, we've died and our life is now hidden with Christ and God. So in Christ Jesus, you, who are our life, when you appear, then you, we, will also appear with you in glory. God, give us a longing by the end of this weekend for glory, your glory. And right now, as we bring our real lives, our hearts, and what really they're holding would you search our hearts, Lord, in your presence? What's in there? Is it, are we angry? Are we tired? Are we excited? Have we been anticipating this moment for months? I pray, I pray, God, that you would search our hearts and right now, every single person would just talk to you about precisely where, they, where they're at. Because I believe that's where you want to meet them with your truth. You're not going to meet them where they're not. So I pray right now, we just open in prayer to you and share What's on our hearts? Have your way. We pray over this weekend. We simply just ask that your will would be done. We have our desires, God. But I pray it's not going to be about our desires, but it's your will that would be done starting tonight, we pray. And all God's children said, amen. amen. What you believe about the future <clears throat> dictates how you live in the present. I remember in college being handed the DVD series 24, do you remember that one? Yes. Which, if you don't know it, it's basically, um, there's a guy, and he works for uh, the counter-terrorist unit. He's basically the reason we're all here. Um, he, like, saves the day all the time. Remember him? Everybody. Ever, what's his name again? Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer. Yeah, yeah, if you've seen it. Basically, 24 stands for 24 hours, and, like, the whole series is, like, the whole one day. Thank you. I why that was so hard for me to get out. And... Um, but I was handed the DVD series from like season five when they were presently filming season eight. And I remember watching season five and getting really into it. You know what I mean? And then there was a moment watching season five in the midst of like my anxieties at like this certain part that I realized they were filming season eight starring Jack Bauer. He's going to make it, you know? <laughs> and it kind of shifted a little bit about like, I remember sitting back. He's going to make it. He'll be fine in this moment. Watch this. You know, like there was a confidence in me because I knew something of the future, so it dictated how I watched in the present, right? If you've seen a movie before, you're a little less worried, right? right? Is anyone else in the room a little worried in life? So I, well, I do wonder, like, what, what do we believe about the future? Because that actually can dictate the present. Or if, let's say, two guys work on an assembly line, literally doing the most mundane task you can imagine. And one guy is pulled aside, and he's like, by the end of the year, your paycheck will be $20,000 for doing the most mundane thing. And he's like, okay. And then the second guy is pulled, same job. They don't have a conversation about it, but the boss grabs the second guy and goes, okay, you're going to be paid $20 million at the end of this year. Can you imagine how they'd work? First guy, he'd probably complain a lot, wouldn't he? Bothered by everything, how mundane the task is. Can you imagine the second guy, though? Like, uh, trauma in the workplace? Sure. <laughs> Doing his little mundane task. Why? Because what they believe about the future. 
And if what Paul is asking us to do, Paul, if what Paul is asking us to do is set our mind on things above, on glory, on heaven, why would he do that? Because it will dictate what you do in the now. So you want to know what this entire weekend is about? Heaven. Surprise, surprise. And maybe some of you have never heard a sermon on heaven. Some of you have never heard a message, let alone a series. How about a weekend, an entire weekend, all about heaven? Well, welcome to your first one. It's, about, it's now. It's now. We're going to set our mind on it and see what happens. Because what he tells us is what we believe about the future will actually dictate how we live in the now. But we have to consider if our view of heaven is right. I've been surprised in the conversations I've had with a lot of people about heaven in the past few years, how terrified people are when they start to think about eternity. Turns out that brings up a lot of terror. I didn't know this. Here's what um, John Eldridge writes. He, he said this, nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. So we've settled on this image of a never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. <laughs> and then, if we're honest, our hearts sink. Forever? That's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and feel guilty that we're somehow not more spiritual. And then we lose heart and turn once more to the present to find what life we can. Worship God? Yes. But here's the surprise. God also knows what attracts us. A place, and this is a place, where we can do meaningful and pleasurable things with enjoyable people. Charles Spurgeon writes, to come to thee, so to come to God, is to come home from exile. To come to land out of a raging storm. To come to rest after really long labor. I don't know, right now I just had in my mind like some moms in here with special needs kids. Like, to come to the, listen to this though, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of all of my wishes. And heaven, by the way, is common throughout the Bible. A lot of us can't imagine heaven because we didn't, we didn't know that it actually speaks about it. I mean, it speaks about it from page one. Do you remember? You've had it memorized, but have you paid attention? In the beginning, God created the... So did you hear it, though? Did you hear plural? What? Okay, so I did a lot of research starting on page one. I'm like, wait, what does he mean by heavens? God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it turns out... There's kind of like three different ways that when you read heaven in the Bible, it's three different ways. Okay, ready? So don't get confused. Ready? Don't get confused. Just don't. The first one is the troposphere, obviously. I looked it up. The troposphere. That is from ground for 20 miles. Heavens. Then you have what's called outer space, the stratosphere, and that's the sun, moon, and stars referred to in scripture as heaven. That's not actually what I'm talking about. But scripture does mention both of those things. In fact, we have it in Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, there it is, proclaim the work of his hands. That's the first one. Then you get to verse 4, three verses later, it says this. Yet their voice goes out in all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. So that's that second one. So there's different ways of talking about it. One we're talking about is the one in 1 Kings. It's referenced all the way back in the New Testament, yes, when it says this. Hear the supplication of your servant. This is while they're building the tabernacle. And of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven, and he's speaking to God, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. 
This first message is on what heaven is, and it is heaven is God's eternal dwelling place. And what I'm convinced, having studied it, never knowing I'd ever one day give a message on it, is this. It's better than you can imagine, so start imagining. Because absolutely anything you can imagine, it's better than that. And then try to imagine something even better. It's better than that. Imagine a table with the people you love the most or people that you thought would never reconcile. And you're like, how have they not reconciled? They all love Jesus. All at one table, laughing, eating really good food. Like good food. Because we're going to eat. you know that? Amen. <laughs> the girl's like, <laughs> it's going to be better. So I think it's time that we spend a lot of time imagining. And by the way, what better place than Hume Lake? Right? It's going to be better than we can imagine. But heaven is God's eternal dwelling place. Where did I get the word place? I got it because God, the Bible gives us a lot to imagine about heaven. They talk about it often as a place or specifically the location of God's throne. Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read this one. There's about six verses I'm going to read. This is, again, John getting a vision of the end. And this is what he's going to read. And if it be helpful for you, and you've maybe never taken the time to imagine it, by all means, close your eyes. Because I think anxiety wins when it comes to our mind and our imagination, because we imagine the worst case scenario. I'm going to say this. Let God have that imagination for a minute and see what he can do. Yes? So here's what it says in Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Can you imagine what that would be like? Try. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like the emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Psalm 11:4 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. If you're wondering who's sitting there, it's the Lord. And the Lord is on his heavenly throne. Paul shares about an experience being caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4 and what he talks about and references it and parallels it to is, ready for it, paradise. The same word used by Jesus to the repentant thief upon the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And what kind of paradise? I want to ask you this. Well, what's paradise to you? It would be probably that. Why? I like the words of Randy Alcorn. He said this. Here's why it's going to be actually paradise. Because, here's what he writes, we do not desire to eat gravel. <laughs> Hold on. Why? Because God didn't design us to eat gravel. <laughs> <laughs> trying to develop an appetite for a disembodied existence in a non-physical heaven is like trying to develop an appetite for gravel. No matter how sincere we are, no matter how hard we try, it's just not going to work, nor should it. What God made us to desire and what you do actually desire in this life is exactly what he promises to those who follow Jesus. Our desires correspond to precisely God's plans. 
It's not that we want something so we engage in wishful thinking that what we want exists. No, it's the opposite. The reason we want it is precisely because God has planned for it to exist. And it will exist in heaven. And how do I know that it's a place and it's a place for us? Because Jesus talks about it himself when he said this, John chapter 14. I love this. I said when I've turned there, you should turn there too. But I always laugh when I use my little cheaters. And I'm like, turn with me. I win. Um, John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Mind you, the person he's speaking to is in a season where Jesus basically knows everything that's going to happen. He's like, you're going to doubt me. And then that, can you imagine what that brings up? But look at the words Jesus delivers. And I think that God's word is true and who God is and his character and the words he speaks are for us as well. So I just hear the words of the Lord. Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I, I will come back and take you to be with me. Anyone else longing for him to come back and kind of hope it's soon? That you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Heaven is God's eternal dwelling Place. And it's not just a promise for him to prepare a place. I love that he also promises to be the one to come and get us. <laughs> it's like he doesn't give that job to somebody else. He's like, oh. It's also eternal. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about it in two different tenses as a both a present reality and also a future fulfillment. Which this was mind-blowing to me. Two years ago, when I first read this thick, dense theology book on heaven, and I read it like page after page after page, I was kind of shocked by understanding this difference between the present and the future. And I don't know if your mind can even grasp it, and to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not even confident, but I do know what God's word says, and what it says is that the present heaven, for those you know, the loved ones that you know that, that died trusting and believing in Jesus, they are presently with him. So when my little boy asks me, where's Dada, I can respond to him and say, he's safe with Jesus. If you don't know that part of my story, there it is. He's safe with Jesus. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 writes this, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, so if we die, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And just a few verses later, it says this, we are confident, I say it, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Anyone else? But then he goes on to say why we have to remain. There's a point to remaining. To be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he doesn't just talk about a present heaven. He also speaks of a future one. Revelation chapter 21, back to that vision from Paul, he writes about it, and I'll speak about this a little later on this weekend. It says this, again speaking, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Notice the new Jerusalem, which was in heaven. Did you catch the direction of it? Coming down. Did anyone else think that people just floated up? Guess what the future is? Heaven coming down. From God, and where does it go? The new, are you guys have your thinking caps on? It's kind of fun, huh? 
Some of you are like, just tell a funny story. Nope. Um, <laughs> it's too important. So new heaven will be with redeemed humankind on a new earth. And we'll have new bodies. But just because it's eternal and goes on forever and ever does not mean it's not physical. In fact, as Jesus was God incarnate, new earth, new heaven, new earth will be heaven incarnate. In other words, God did not give up on his original plan for people to dwell with him on earth. That was from the beginning. And the climax of history is Jesus' return and the new heavens and earth, the resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with the resurrected Jesus for forever. So that's the future. And what we have now is the present. A friend of mine pushes his little boy on the swings. And he goes, I like pushing him on the swings because I can check my email. I was like, oh, but me too, sometimes, just sometimes. He's like, I'm checking my email, and I'm pushing the little, my little guy. My little guy who's just learning time looks at him and says, hey, what time is it? And his dad's like, oh, uh, oh, let me check my phone. 1.30. And the little boy's like, oh. He's swinging on the swings. And he goes, will it ever be 1.30 again? Because <laughs> he's trying to understand time. And my friend's like, hey, it'll actually be, it'll be 1.30 in the middle of the night, and then it'll be 1.30 tomorrow afternoon, and it'll be middle of the night. And then he goes, no, no, that's not what I mean. Like, will it ever be that time again? He's like, what do you? Do you mean like, will it ever be like this moment again? Little boy's like, yeah, will it ever be this moment again? And I was like, no, it will never be this moment ever again. Which means that the present matters. Which means that he had to put away his phone, didn't he? <laughs> Stop checking his email. Because we have the present, but we also have the future. But it seems almost like heaven changes. Like it transforms. Is this a new concept for anybody else? It was shocking to me. As I'm studying it, I'm like, okay, so, but it comes down eventually, and it's, but it's also God's, and this is the most important part. It's God's eternal dwelling place, and what he gifts us with is the present, but the truth is, not only is heaven eternal that direction, if it's where God dwells, then the truth is it's also eternal in the opposite direction, right? It's kind of like this. So I remember being up here, I used to work in um, summer camp with Aaron, who's back there, my girl, and um, so we used to work summer camps here, and when we did with the high schoolers, it's so fun. They're just crazy. And it turns out you ladies are crazier. <laughs> I remember when I got out of youth into you guys, I'm like, let's see if they're willing to do a game. You guys are like, <laughs> anyways. So, <laughs> but I remember one of the most impactful weeks of me ever being on staff was when Francis Chan was the speaker. And he gave an illustration that he gave when I was in high school. Back when I was in high school, Francis Chan was not famous. Francis Chan, he was the funny guy. Like, we literally was like, oh, the funny speaker. He's so funny. Like, we all loved him. And he wasn't famous. He was just like another chapel speaker that we had at my, my high school. And so he came, and he gave an illustration at my high school. And then he did it again when I was on staff. And he did it the very first night. And then he shifted off all of his plans. Because the normal plan that we do at camp would be, like, Sunday night, you do this big, like, God's so big. And we're like, yes. And then the next morning, you're like, sin, though, you know. And then the next night, and then we're like, good news. And then we tell the gospel. Like, it's like there's kind of like a formula for, like, how we, like, take people on a journey of, like, the biblical narrative. We do this. Okay, but the first night he gets up there, and he's like, no, because heaven's forever. And all we have is now. And we're not promised tomorrow. So he kind of screwed up the entire plan. But then he brought out an illustration. He brought out the same exact illustration that transformed my life in high school. And here's his illustration. He said it was the very first illustration he ever came up with, which is kind of cool. And basically, it was this, like, long rope. Anyone, you know? And so the long rope represents eternity. And we could just keep, oh, shoot. Is it okay? <laughs> is it okay? Hold on, just real fast. <laughs> so, 
that's yours. That's yours. Yeah, we'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm rich in ministry. <laughs> Heavenly treasures are yours. Okay, but come on, it's okay. We'll fix it. I'll get it. Yeah, yeah, we'll get it. Yeah. Okay, but okay. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, so imagine this rope. Oh, imagine, okay. Imagine this rope like. Is it okay? Is it okay? We're good, we're good. Yeah, it's part of, it's part of the sketch. He basically was like, this is like eternity, and the rope just weirdly keeps going, and it actually does. It doesn't stop ever. Isn't that weird? Don't believe me? Watch this. You in particular, watch this. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Okay, it does. Okay, but imagine if it did. And he goes, this is eternity. And this represents your life here on earth. And he goes, isn't this so weird what we do? We do this. We're like, okay, so I'm going to like be here and worry a lot about what I'm going to do for a living. And then I like, and then worry about getting married. And then, and then I'm going to work really hard here so that I can enjoy that last portion. <laughs> right? That's what we do, right? Yeah. I'm going to work real hard and then I'm going to rest. And then when I start resting, I'm going to wonder who I am again. Because I don't know how to rest, and that's actually not life-giving. And it turns out we were maybe need to, I don't know if I need to work. I'm, and, and then you die. And then <laughs> and I wonder. We think, we talk, we speak, we preach, we about this. And we should. But there's forever in front of us, right? And what you choose here affects forever. And what I've come to realize in studying heaven, and then there's that other place that we've kind of like stopped talking about because it feels just kind of like intimidating and scary, but the truth is, here's the simple truth. Heaven, God dwells there. Hell, he doesn't. And so if you want God here, you'll get him forever. And if you don't, then you won't. And I wonder what you're doing with your life. And that's why I love this retreat. We're going like, you know what we're going to talk about? The rest of it. And what in the world, how to live like this in light of all of it. That's what we're talking about this weekend. Because this is eternal. And the cool thing is, God doesn't wait for, want to wait for this to dwell with you. He wants to be present with you in your anxieties and in your worries and in your fears. And one of the ways he does it is he says, Get your eyes off of this. It'll actually shift. Set your mind, not just your mind, your heart, your longings for those things. And as you think and meditate on those things, and if your longings begin to change, then you'll long for different things. You'll long for restored relationships more than you'll long for a bigger house. You'll long for kindness versus winning You'll long for unity instead of being right. Your longings will begin to change, and it'll change the relationships around you. It'll change everything. But until we envision what in the world this is going to be like, we can miss it. But I also got to tell you this. Not only is it God's eternal, eternal dwelling place, it's God's. Hollywood tried their best to come out with a television show. Bless them. It was Hollywood's depiction 
of the afterlife. Did anyone watch the comedy, The Good Place? I actually didn't, but my friend Alan did. They did this like comedy about afterlife. And here's after a multiple seasons, it did decent. Because people kind of like thinking about it. But at the very end of the entire series, the characters in the afterlife are bored. And my friend Alan, pastor, started smiling at the conclusion. And he goes, I know what they're missing. God. <laughs> heaven without God is not heaven. They are unsatisfied because only an infinite and eternal God can satisfy us eternally. But the cool thing is, he's not just waiting to satisfy us in eternity. He actually wants you to taste it here and now. So how is this possible for us? It's possible for us because heaven is not just going to come down once in the future. Heaven came down in Jesus Christ. God came and tabernacled, dwelled among us. Came to earth because he knew we couldn't get to him. And in order to be in a perfect relationship with a perfect God, perfection is the standard. But because God knew we couldn't get to him, he came to us and dwelled among us. And he alone was spotless and pure and blameless. He was the dwelling place in which God lived. He was God, fully God, fully man. And he walked around, not just as the perfect example, but also for us because he didn't just come here to find pleasure here. He knew what he wanted for us for all of eternity. And so he came to earth, lived a perfect life. This is Jesus Christ. He lives a perfect life. And he begins kind of bringing aspects of the kingdom. People who are hungry are fed by him. People who are naked are clothed. He starts showing us what it's like where everyone has enough. <laughs> where things and diseases are healed. And he starts bringing this taste of heaven. And he walks among us. And yes, he goes to the cross. And as he does, the reason he does is because, as, as it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he gave his son, why? Because in order for us to be in that right relationship, we're supposed to be perfect. And one day we're all going to stand before him, before that throne we already read about. This is the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ that I cannot stop talking about, I cannot stop imagining about, because one day my husband did stand there. Two and a half years ago, and he stood before God's throne. And so I think about this a lot. I think about myself standing there and what that's going to be like. And what I do is I actually begin to imagine, I've not just imagined it, I've started to read about it. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, you have this picture of that throne room. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who's the one shouting that? The, the previous few verses I already read about. It's the elders. It's the thing creatures with the eyes. It's a lot of stuff. It's the lightning. It's the throne. It's the crystal. It's the ruby-faced Jasper. It's him seated on the throne and everyone shouting, holy, 
Isaiah gives us a different picture in Isaiah chapter 6 when here's what they're shouting there. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The The whole earth is full of his glory. So there's this holy throne room and everyone's shouting, holy, holy. In other words, set apart, set apart, distinct, other, holy, lifted high, holy. But in order for us to be standing there and to be able to be even in his presence, how can we be there? In order to be right, you're supposed to be right. (laughs) And because left to ourselves, we're not. Which is why the Holy One came down, lived the life we couldn't, and then went to the cross to die. Why? Because as Paul writes elsewhere, the wages, the earnings of this sinful life we live, sin is basically missing the standard of perfection with any thought, word, deed, attitude, and all of us fall short. And so he goes and he takes that which we deserve, and he dies. And on the third day, he resurrects as the first fruit. Scripturally, it says first fruit. First fruit means first installment. Some of you live in like Fresno area and like the, the area with all the, um, they grow things. <laughs> what is that area? Tulare. <laughs> you know first fruit? What's first fruit? It's the best. It's the best. And Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. First fruit. The first one. He had resurrected people, but he came as the first fruit. That death doesn't become the end of a story anymore. And then he walked around to show his scars, to tell his story, and then he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, which is where he's at dwelling today. And guess what's happening there? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, who was for forever, who is reigning and who will forever reign, who was and is and is to come. And, and yet, yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture for those of you who know where to put your trust. But I'll tell you this, it's a terrifying one for a lot of us who are trying to be good enough for that place. Anyone else feeling the burden of trying to be good enough, not just for the Lord, but for everybody? But also the Lord, it's almost like you just want to ignore the Lord because his standard is perfection. You know you don't live up to that one, so you at least try your best here on earth to get a little acceptance. You're not crazy. But the truth is one day we'll stand before a holy God Holy, holy, holy. And the author of Hebrews blows me away. The author of Hebrews writes, (laughs) there's that throne. And it says that we will approach that throne of grace with confidence. Here's what it says. You can go back to the first one. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that's Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, not faith in ourselves, faith in Jesus Christ. For we do not have a high priest, the one who goes before, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He actually understands what it means to be human. He knows what it feels to be betrayed. He understands what it means to feel pain. He understands loss. So don't think that the things you've gone through have been flippant to him. He understands it in an intimate way. He was abused. He experienced church hurt. He understands we have one who is, we don't have someone who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Then, watch this, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Elders. 
lightning. And you approaching that with confidence? How? Especially when it says this, Jesus writes in uh, Luke chapter 8, 17. Thank you, Kayla, for staying with me. I know I'm all over the place, but just we're getting there. Luke chapter 8, 17. Jesus says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. When we stand before God, absolutely everything you've ever done will be exposed. To who? To the light of the world. And what does light do? Light exposes. And here's what I'm convinced of. That on that day, every single thing you've ever done will be there. And I'm convinced that the one you'll be there with, in that moment, you will never have felt more loved. In that moment, being fully known. But the shocker is not only that my husband experienced that, that in exposure he was fully loved, what's fascinating is that this type of being known and loved has been there for us all along. And it's not just reserved for that moment. God always knew my husband, always knew me, and always has known you like that. He knows everything. And he has always loved you knowing everything. I sometimes don't like my friends knowing my mistakes because I fear they won't like me anymore that they'll go a different direction. And so we place that on God because when our parents or whomever saw something wrong in us, they go, who are you? Go to your room and figure it out by yourself. You're like, okay, I can be better, I can be better, I can be better. And then we try to be better and then we failed again and then we learn how to hide and cover all again. And here's the shocking truth. When Jesus ascend, uh, descended to earth for the first time, came to us, when he did that, he still knew everything you would ever do. And that's when he wanted to love you. And if that is true, then I want to sit in a church service and search my heart to find anything that I'm doing alone. I want to find any, any un, unbeautiful parts of me. I want to access any sin nature in me. I want to access all of it. If it's not going to shift his love for me, then I want to bring it all out and see what happens then. I want to know what it's like for to know that God loves me despite me. I want to know that God loves me not based on my performance, not based on me having good amount of quiet times, not based on how many times I've been to church. Because the truth is, if one day I'm not going to bank on that resume when I stand before him, then I don't want to bank or live on that resume here and, here and now. And I'll tell you, sorry, uh, th I, when we go back to the, like, how we typically put a retreat together, Friday night's like, hey, welcome, you guys are here, like, let's get into some truth, but like, you guys are doing good. And now I'm like, we're going to one day stand before God. <laughs> I feel real urgent on this one because why in the world would we keep living for ourselves if we got eternity on the line? So let's do it. But for some of you, I know you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and the truth is when you stand before God, you're gonna try to tell him all the, the, the ways you think you might have been good enough or better than everyone else. And I wanna tell you that's not enough. And it's definitely not enough to approach that throne with confidence. But it says that we will. For those who are in Christ, how is that possible? Here's how. You will approach that throne confidently because the resume of good behavior that you're holding is not yours. See, because if you did, it would not be enough. Even your best deeds, not enough. 
Because why? The standard is perfection. But the good news is, perfection came to us. Lived the life we couldn't. Died the death we deserved. And the technical term for this, I think I've shared this before, and I just will share it for forever, so get used to it, <laughs> is imputation, accreditation. Our sin was imputed onto the cross of Christ. He went to the cross. Why? So that every word, deed, behavior, thing you've ever done in your entire life gets imputed onto that cross. It is taken care of. Which means this, if that's true for you and you believe that he went to the cross for you, then you get to be fully forgiven for all of it before a holy and a perfect God who knows all of it. Fully, fully forgiven. I'm in a Bible study with a circle group of gals and one of the gals, we were saying, like, what's your hope for the study? And her hope for the study is that she really believes that she's forgiven. I have a feeling she's not the only one that believes that and is wondering about that. And I'm here to tell you it is true. It's possible for everything you've ever done to be put on the, foot, the cross of Christ and not just what you have done, what you will do, what you are doing in your mind with judging me. <laughs> <laughs> and also anything in the future gets imputed onto him. Now there are earthly consequences for our behaviors, yes, but I'm saying here when I'm talking about our entrance into heaven that it gets to be put there. But the truth and the profound truth is that it's not just our sin imputed onto him. It's not just single imputation, it's actually double which means this, 2 Corinthians puts it this way, that he who knew no sin became sin, that's Jesus Christ, became sin on our behalf, and the punishment was due our sin and your sin was taken out on Jesus, the son. All of it paid in full, and he dies. In his resurrection, coming back from the dead to new life, proving that he can make anything dead alive, the second half of that scripture is he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And righteous means to be made right, we, by grace, that is unmerited favor. That's what grace means. If you could earn it, it wouldn't be grace. Grace is unearned favor on your life by grace through faith and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross and the power of his resurrection. By grace through faith, not only did he take that which you deserve and he died, he, we receive by grace through faith everything he deserved. It's double which means you get to stand before a holy God one day and you get to approach that throne with confidence because the resume you're holding is the resume of the one who is enough. He is blameless, pure, the dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. He was perfect and he makes us right. And the truth is not only will that be true in the future, it can be a present reality now for all who believe. Believe what? Believe that their entrance into heaven isn't based on their resume, but that their entrance into heaven is based on a belief and trust in Jesus' resume on their behalf. And if you believe, Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 says this, nothing impure will ever enter in. The truth is we would be impure if we were on our own, but we are in Christ, he's in us, I'm in him. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So how do we get there? We go back to where Jesus told us about that place in John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I love this. I love the disciples because if you're ever confused reading scripture, they were looking at it and they didn't understand. <laughs> Jesus is like, you know the way. And they're like, 
<laughs> you know, go on. <laughs> and thankfully he does. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except, what is it? Through me, through Jesus. Some people will respond to the scripture and hate it because they will say, how narrow of you to believe that the only way to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus. Well, I'll tell you this, the only people who will want heaven are people that believe in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if there's anyone tonight who wants Jesus and who's never had him. You have your resume and you've been trying to fill it out and look impressive and I'm here to tell you, screw the freaking resume. I screwed the resume. That's a weird way of putting it. Let me try again. <laughs> I screwed it. Resume. Um, <laughs> I stopped trying to build my resume a long time ago. And it's so freeing. Man, it's so freeing, ladies, to stand in front of you and stop worrying about you liking my resume. I didn't catch my own intro of myself. <laughs> Do you know what I told you? I just love the Lord because of what he's done for me and let me have his. Do you know what his resume says? I'm pure. Some of you have done some things that you go, I'm so dirty. No, you don't have to wear that resume anymore. I'm blameless. Oh, I can think in the past week of some awful things. And yet he calls me blameless. And by his grace, he doesn't just have that for me when I stand before God. He has that for me to believe about myself here and now. Not because it's true of me, it's true of Christ. And I'm now in him and he's in me. Jesus asked about the book in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when he said this. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. This is, by the way, the context is his disciples being like, oh my gosh, guess what we did? He's like, stop flexing. Because like flexing in front of Jesus is silly, which means our pride is silly. Our pride is illogical. It's illogical to flex in front of God. Anyways, he's like, don't freak out about that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, re rejoice about the very things that make you humble. Rejoice about what I've done in your life. It's <laughs> so free. And the best part is you don't have to earn it because you can't, then it wouldn't be grace. And you won't. So what all you do is you submit to it. How do you do that? Um, Ruthanna Metzger. <coughs> I'll bring you up. Here's my gal. Yeah. Ruthanna Metzger was asked to sing. At, she's a professional singer, and she was asked to sing at this um, wedding in Seattle, and she was really excited about it <laughs> because the wealthiest family in Seattle was um, <laughs> putting on the wedding. I like her coming up because then it sounds holier, so it's coming. Um, that just feels nice. To create an environment. Here we go. It was going to be put on by the wealthiest family in Seattle. And she was excited because not only would the wedding be unbelievable, the reception was going to be in the top floors of the exclusive Columbia Tower, if you've heard of it. And she's thrilled. So she goes to the wedding. She performs. Her husband's, like, so proud of her. And then they get in the cart, ready to drive over to the wedding reception. <laughs> and they approach the wedding reception, her and her husband, Roy. <laughs> and the maitre d' is there with the book. And he's greeting guests. And you can see beyond him. You can see the ice sculptures and the tables and the decor. And she's like, <laughs> here it is. And he says, may I have your name? And she responds, Ruthanna Roy. Ruthanna Metzger. And this is my husband, Roy. And he goes, can you spell it slowly? And she, she does. And after a long search, he says, I'm so sorry. Your names are not in here. <laughs> and she says, I'm so sorry. I was actually the singer at the wedding. And he responds, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. 
Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. And then he actually called someone to usher the two of them out of the area, past the ice sculptures, to the service elevator where the guy pressed G for parking garage. They get to their car, they hop in their car, and they begin to drive away. And the husband leans over after five minutes of driving in silent embarrassment. Roy then says, sweetheart, what happened? <laughs> and she goes, um, I remember the invitation coming. I think I must have gotten kind of busy. I don't think I bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. <laughs> Surely I could get into the reception without an RSVP. And then she began to cry. And her testimony is that the reason she was crying is not only because she missed out on the most lavish banquet she had ever been invited to, but suddenly she had a small taste of what it will be like one day for people as they stand before God and find that their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Put on an elevator that does not stop at a garage. In John 14, Jesus says, in my house are many rooms, and then he tells us how to make the reservation, to believe on him, to trust on him, trust in his life, perfect life, his substitutionary death, taking what we deserve, believing the power of his resurrection, that he would be the first fruit, that one day death would not be the end of our story, that we would rise to new life. And so I want to start Friday night by telling you the greatest news of all, like the greatest privilege of my life. This is like, I believe, why I live is to look at you and say, our holy God is still accepting reservations. <laughs> and I'm confident from scripture that every single one of you has been invited. And I don't want you to miss him. So we could talk about a lot of things and we'll talk about your life and your mind and your heart. She'll do a good job. just don't know him what are you waiting for you don't have to put your faith and trust in yourself anymore he's paid it all he's given his life not just to take what you deserve but to gift you his life that you one day can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and suddenly you have nothing to fear including the greatest enemy of the greatest weapon of our enemy which is death itself you have nothing to fear why because he offers his life in you the apostle Paul writes it so beautifully when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> to die is gain. And if you're wondering what do you do in the meantime, it's to give your life to Christ. And so I do wonder if there's anyone here tonight that just wants, simply wants to respond to the best news of all. Many people in this place, in this room, this place like a like kind of a holy room, mostly because people build it as a holy place. But you could you could tonight I don't want to live for me. I believe in Jesus. And it says in scripture that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, <laughs> ruling and reigning, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Sin and all of its consequences. Trusting that Jesus took all of it so that you would never have to. And if that's you, very simply, I want to pray for you. If you're up for it, I know it's risky, but so is the life of faith. If you want prayer, whether it's making this decision for the first time. Yeah. Ten years old. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
a good representation. Yeah, it's lonely. back home. I don't mind. You want to be with me? Yeah, keep going. Don't stop. Oh, you stand. <laughs> no, I'll just say this. It, this is what it does. When you realize the freedom you have in Christ, you just stand up and start telling about like some of your junk so that people aren't alone in theirs. Like that's wild. That's, that's what it looks like, the freedom you have. And if you're just, if you're there and going, and I, I love this. Actually, I want to do this. If maybe it's for the very first time or you're going like, I want to come back home. Maybe just in a totally different direction. It doesn't have to be like formal. It doesn't have to be like some formulaic thing of like, okay, this is. If you just know that you know that you know that God is turning your life back to him, maybe for the very first time, or maybe like you know you're here for a purpose and you're kind of terrified about it, but you're listening to this and you're like, I want Jesus. If that's you, can we just pray for you as a group? We're going to get into it. And the truth is every single person is going to have an opportunity to respond to this. Every single person. And, and actually, you are responding to it with how you live your life, Right? But if that is you, I'm going to ask you to do something kind of bold. Would you just stand to your feet so we can pray for you? If that's you, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, you're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you this. We were praying backstage for, I want to get eye contact with each of you. We were actually remembering our moments like this. Yes, I love that me it's now yes it's you it's now we were recounting it and trying to visualize the sweetness of that moment where you're suddenly unafraid yeah so would we extend hands in their direction if you know these people let's place hands on them thank you lord jesus thank you lord jesus We're going to continue worshiping with right now. I feel like it already began right now. So I pray, Lord, that even everybody, we always extend hands assuming the person at the front is going to pray, but I want everyone just quietly to begin praying for all these people. And then I'll pick it up. Let's just begin praying for our sisters who are standing. God, you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. God, we bless it. And I'm imagining the hallelujah chorus in heaven. <laughs> Which actually gives me hope to imagine that people in heaven can see. I think so. I don't know, though. God, I thank you for this courage to stand and the journey you're taking them on. And we just want to bless it. And I pray for them that they would know and put their full faith and trust in Jesus. Not 50-50 anymore. They'd step in fully. Thank you for what happens in this chapel, God, and what you've done. None of them intended to stand in front of a group of people. And yet, look what you've done, God, and I can't wait to see what more you will do. So I pray you continue to open up their heart to the power of the life of Jesus in them. And those who are standing, you can just simply cry out to him right where you are. Jesus, I need you. 
I confess that I am not enough for everybody. I'm not enough for you. And yet you love me, knowing all of me. And that's why you sent Jesus. So you can just cry out to him, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. Sit on the throne of my life. Thank you for saving me from everything I deserve <laughs> and giving me grace. Help me by your Holy Spirit to respond with the rest of my life, we pray. And all God's children said in unison, amen. amen. Beautiful. Let's stand.